On this week's edition of New York Now, state budget hearings kick off in Albany. We'll explain. Then, Assembly Speaker Carl Hastie joins us with his perspective on this year's legislative session. And later, we take you on a visit to the New York State Capitol, plus an update on Lee Zeldin. I'm Dan Clark, and this is New York Now. Today, the Senate majority will pass legislation. I will fight like hell for you every single day, like I've always done and always will. Welcome to this week's edition of New York Now. I'm Dan Clark. Hearings on Governor Kathy Hochul's $227 billion budget plan began this week, kicking off the next two months of negotiations with the legislature. And it is a long process. Lawmakers will sit through 13 hearings over the next month, and each hearing can last all day, with some going for 10 hours or more. And that's because they hear from a lot of people in these hearings. They invite commissioners from state agencies, industry leaders, and other stakeholders to testify on what they think should be in the state budget. But it's also a rare opportunity for lawmakers to question state leaders in public, like how Senate Deputy Majority Leader Mike Gianaris, a Democrat, tried asking the state's acting chief administrative judge about the inner workings of the state's highest court, the Court of Appeals. The judge, Tomiko Amaker, said she had no answers for him which prompted this exchange on Tuesday. And I'll just, if I could, I barely have had a chance to ask any questions. Know, She's filibustering like a very effective legislator. Okay, I'll move on from that one. Give me one, one more minute, if I may, Madam Chair. But, but no, Senator, sorry. Uh, no, no, but, no, no, sorry, sorry, okay. Mike. Sorry, Mike. I, I will just say this in closing, that the, uh, the, the court system has a real problem. In just the few minutes I've been here, they have provided no answers to questions of who receives training, what the training materials are, what the vote for acting chief was, whether there's still an ongoing uh, expense of public resources for the safety of former judges. I don't know if you saw the story from Frank Runyon in Law 360 today. Time's up. But in fact, um, there is a serious corruption problem within the Court of Appeals where judges are receiving public okay, benefits and not reporting them. Mike, your time is up. For two and a half billion dollars. I think that's a serious problem, Judge. Sorry. But these hearings are also an opportunity to just hear different perspectives on top issues. Take charter schools. Governor Hochul wants to add more charter schools in New York City this year, which a lot of Democrats oppose. And this week, lawmakers were able to bring that plan to State Education Commissioner Betty Rosa, who is independent from the governor's office. Here's what she said. If it's such a wonderful uh, experiment, then let me see it in places that embrace it other than communities of color. That, and I will tell you, the amount of charter schools that are focused on communities of color is, is huge, but I yet to see it in some of the places that you and I would probably say, if it's such a great experiment, show it to me, and why aren't other people embracing it? That, Good things are embraced by everybody, not just some. And those are the kinds of conversations that will set the stage for negotiations. After the hearings, legislative leaders will sit down with Hochul and work out a final state budget. One of them is Assembly Speaker Carl Hastie, a Democrat from the Bronx. We spoke this week about Hochul's budget plan, this year's legislative session, and more. Speaker Hastie, thank you so much for coming back. I appreciate it. Oh, no, Dan, thank you for having me. Good to of be course. here. Of course. 
anytime. So I want to ask you about the governor's priorities for this year, but first I want to bring it back into the assembly chamber and look at what you all are planning to do over the next couple of months until the end of session. How would you describe the top priorities of the assembly over these next couple of months? Well, you know, I'd say, Dan, from year to year, our, our focus is always on, you know, is always going to be supporting our family's first agenda, trying to do right by the people of the, the state of New York. And, uh, you know, I'd say of the two biggest, uh, you know, amongst, you know, all of the issues that are important, um, you know, issues of uh, safety, public safety and, afford, you know, affordability, I think are two of the biggest uh, uh, things that I think that on uh, on people's uh people's minds. And I think that uh, wanting people, you know, being safe and feeling safe are, are two different things. Um, you know, New York uh, remains one of the safest big states in the nation. New York City remains one of the biggest cities, but people don't feel safe. So I think we have to deal with the issues and people's perception. Uh, perception is people's uh, reality. And then when it comes to affordability, um, you know, again, that's one of the issues that ties into uh, to this issue of, of public safety. And, you know, people can afford to live in New York and, and uh, particularly in New York City. I think we, you know, it's not something we're going to solve overnight, but I think we need to start to figure it, figure those things out um, on affordability and really start to lay the groundwork so people feel comfortable in, in, in raising uh, their, their families here and staying here. So public safety and affordability are also two of the governor's top priorities this year, as we saw in her state of the state and her budget address just a few weeks ago. Do you think her agenda goes far enough on those issues? Well, I'll just say this, that there's never been a time when a governor's budget was passed, you know, word for word and, and dollar for dollar. Uh, the, the governors, you know, based on the Constitution, they propose, the legislature disposes. So we'll have the conversations over the next, you know, couple of couple of months. Um, you know, we'll come up with where we believe we are. The Senate will come up with where they believe they are, and we'll just negotiate between the three. These are three democratic uh, pieces of, of government, and I think in the end we'll figure it out. You know, one topic that has caused some controversy is uh, charter schools. The governor has a plan to essentially add more charter schools to New York City by shifting a regional cap, getting rid of that and then reissuing so-called zombie charters. You said to reporters a few weeks ago that they may, that may be a difficult issue for your conference because in the assembly, Democrats have traditionally leaned more towards uh, public schools, traditional public schools than charter schools. Can you give us some more context? Why might this be harder for your members? Uh, I think, you know, for a lot of us, particularly in the assembly, we, we were, uh, we were um, educated through the public school system. Uh, you know, for me, I've been in public school all the way up through graduate school. Uh, so um, we just want the schools to be able to give the same opportunity that they gave us. And and for the, the young people that we all represent in our districts, we want them to grow up and be whatever it is that they choose to, to be in life. And and so we just feel the focus of that is through um, uh, the uh, traditional uh, uh, public schools. So that's really where the conference's focus has been and, 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 and remains. The governor wants to increase school aid for traditional public schools by $3.1 billion. It is, as she says, the largest in, uh, ever increase in one year in school aid. I could see a situation where that might be kind of a trade-off for this charter issue. What do you think about that? Um, I don't think so because this was a three-year commitment to, to deal with the, uh, the, the campaign for fiscal equity lawsuit. 
Right. This will now uh, almost I, I'd say it, you know it's a, it's late, but you know finally uh, you know the the debt is going to be paid. Uh, that the court said that we had an underfunded uh, education system uh, uh, in the state of New York. So no, I don't think it's it's going to be a trade. I think the issues of charters will be you know a standalone issue um, that the governor's going to put forward. But I I don't think she's going to say uh, you know if you don't give me charters, I'm going to cut the education funding that has been agreed upon. This is the third year of a of a three-year installment, uh, which the governor was a part of for parts two and three. She also has an interesting proposal around funding for the MTA, New York City subways. So this proposal would have a, a few moving parts. One would raise a, a certain tax, a payroll tax for businesses in the suburbs, and also take a share of casino revenue from these new New York City casinos to go towards the MTA. Do you think that's a good uh, solution for the MTA's financial woes? Uh, Jana Lieber, the chief of the MTA, has warned that the MTA may be in a deficit moving forward. Well, let me start from the, the premise of, I think we need to get the MTA, you know, it's money if, if we want uh, New York City and the, and the metropolitan area to get back to where it was pre-pandemic. Uh, we won't get there without a robust and, and, and great uh, transit system, as, as once was always told. Uh, the the MTA is like the artery system of the body of the um, of the metropolitan area. So uh, without that, we can't be um, the mecca of the of the world. So I start there and saying we have to get the MTA uh, the financing that it needs. Um, but you know, over the next couple of weeks, we'll figure out uh, how we get there. Uh, you know, the governor laid down a marker, and that's what the legislature does now we'll look we you know we might like some things we might uh dislike some things but i do think we all agree that the we have to get the mta the money you know one thing that i think you may favor in her budget proposal is a idea to tie minimum wage to inflation there's differences between whether we should raise it first and then tie it or if we should just tie it to inflation moving forward. I know that you have uh, seemed supportive of a minimum wage increase in the past. Uh, just a few weeks ago, I think you made some comments about it. What do you think about that proposal? Um, I think most things should always be set to inflation so they don't become uh, you know, part of the, of the political volley, volleyball that happens uh, often throughout um, uh, government. Um, you know, as prices go up, and that's one of the reasons then why we're in this position that we're because far too often prices have increased and and uh and and people's incomes have not uh, increased at that at that same margin just for instance in new york city we have not raised the minimum wage um uh to uh, got to $15 it's been at $15 for the last uh, few years but this is where we'll you know we'll have the conversation with the governor i think the fact that we all believe that the minimum wage should be increased is a, is a is a good thing and as they say, as uh, as the tide rises, all all boats rise too. So when you uh, raise the minimum wage, it puts uh, upward pressure to raise wages all across the board. And again, as we've been talking about affordability, uh, uh, putting more people money in people's pockets increases affordability. Increasing the minimum wage helps particularly local economies because that's money that people will spend in the supermarket and the in the dry cleaner and the laundromat and the in the local restaurants and things like that. So that also helps to boost the boost economies as well. So on another proposal, I have to ask you about what she wants to do in terms of bail reform, which is something that we just cannot stop talking about. 
She wants to eliminate something called the least restrictive means. It's a, a term that uh, I can't really define it, but she wants to take away that in terms of setting bail for higher level charges. So judges would no longer have to um, set restrictions based on the least restrictive means. You've been a, a big supporter of the criminal justice changes in the state in the past couple of years. When you became speaker, they were a big priority for you. Do you think the governor's changes are a non-starter or are you open to that conversation this year? I think where we are, Dan, is, is, we, is when we opened up is I think with people, we're having to deal with the perception of people's uh, concerns on, on crime. And again, like I said, New York is one of the safest states. New York City is still one of the safest. Big cities, crime was up. I don't think that people are giving enough uh, credit to the, what the pandemic has done to us as a nation, as a state, and as a city. And I often feel like bail is being, uh, you know, uh, scapegoated when we're looking at the recidivism rates post and pre-bail are relatively the, the same, but yet it's been good to blame it politically. Uh, you know, people have run campaigns on it. Um, you know, it seems to be working uh, for campaigns, but uh, so I do say we have to deal with the, 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 the people of the state. I, I can't be, um, you know, uh, I'd say not acknowledging the, the feelings of the people in the state of not feeling safe. So I, I think we have to address that. But what that is, I, you know, I can't tell you per se on uh, on February 7th uh, what we will do in the end, but we do have to deal with making people in this state feel safer. Do you think that makes it difficult, the, the perception that uh, bail reform has caused a spike in crime, which I should note there is no data to tie those two things together. Do you think that makes it more difficult to pass additional criminal justice measures, like the Clean Slate Act that we've been talking about for the past couple of years? Does that make it more difficult to do these things? I think that, um, you know, you always want to be able to, when you do things as a, as a legislature, you, there's times you have to lead your community, but there's also times you have to follow the community. So how your constituents feel, you know, it does have, you know, input into how you game plan things, but, you know, I think this over-focus and over-blaming of bail has made, uh, you know, made it tougher conversations. But in, in essence, these are the right things to do. You know, if people have paid their debt to society uh, and, and they just want to be able to, you know, earn a living and take care of their families, you know, we're supposed to be the greatest country in the world. People deserve, you know, second chances. And But um, this over-focus and over-blaming and scaring people uh and uh about what's going on in the city and state so it makes the environment more difficult i don't know if it makes the will to do things more difficult but you know it does make it a little the environment a little tougher and before i let you go i did mention the clean slate act do you have any updates on that in your chamber it's it's had a tough go the past couple of years with differing reasons on why it hasn't passed any update you can give us uh listen um again as we start to um uh you know discuss the governor's budget, you know, where we go throughout this uh, this budget and then in this session, um, you know, I'm sure Clean Slate will be a, a part of that discussion. It does have, uh, you know, I, I'll say this, there's, there's, there's a, a good amount of support in the, you know, in the conference, but, you know, to me as the, the leader of the assembly, I like to get, move the conference in a place that 
everybody can be comfortable. That's what a you know I think a leader does. You try to get everybody to a place where they can all be be comfortable. And you know we'll see if we could you know we can we can get there. But it's it's so it's not necessarily been about pass or fail. Um, it's about trying to move the the the, the assembly in a place where the, the Democratic conference where members can all be comfortable with the work that we do. All right, Assembly Speaker Carl Hasty, thank you so much. Thank you, Dan. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Hasty, Hochul, and the Senate will now have until April 1st to approve a final state budget. But one issue that's already on the table is higher pay for home care workers. You'll remember that in last year's state budget, those workers got a small pay bump of $2 above the minimum wage. But home care workers say that didn't go far enough. They want their minimum wage set at around $22 an hour. State Senator Rachel May is a supporter of that idea, which is not part of Hochul's budget plan. I was very proud of what we got done last year in the budget, and I'm disappointed isn't the right word. I'm, I'm very upset about what is in this year, in the governor's budget this year. We are going to fight as hard as we possibly can to make sure that we keep home care, the minimum for home care above the minimum wage. We'll keep an eye on that fight. But turning now to politics in New York. Former Congressman Lee Zeldin, who was last year's Republican nominee for governor, spoke to reporters in Albany this week for the first time since the election. And he said he's not leaving politics anytime soon. Some political forecasters think he may run for U.S. Senate next year against Senator Kirsten Gillibrand. And Zeldin did say he's forming a new federal political action committee, but said nothing's official just yet. I don't have anything to announce uh, right now. What I do know is that I'm going to stay uh, very active. Uh, I want to do my part. I just had reserve duty yesterday and the day before. I enjoy serving in the, the military and finishing my 20th year in May. Uh, I will continue to serve. I do believe that at some point uh, there will be a re-entry to government. Exactly what that will be and when, uh, we'll see. So we'll be watching that as well. But staying now in Albany, we show you a lot of the state capitol on this show. And if you've never been there, I promise it is well worth the trip. The state capitol took more than three decades to build, and even then it wasn't done. When then-Governor Teddy Roosevelt took office, he stopped work on the capitol and declared it finished. And since then, a lot of the building has been preserved with original floors, walls, and staircases that all still look brand new. So this week, we thought we'd take you on your own trip to the state capitol in this piece from WMHT's Will Pettigo. 2 p.m. tour, you guys made it. Welcome, welcome everyone, welcome to Albany. We're gonna take the next 45, 50 minutes, a nice leisurely walk through the capitol. All right, follow me. My name is Matt, and I have been a tour guide since August 27th, uh, 2012. Uh, we're going to fill up this elevator. I assure you that we can probably all fit in here. All right. I feel unbelievably lucky uh, because we get to talk about New York State history. We get to talk about culture. We get to talk about art every day. Um, I could not imagine that a job like this would exist, but it does. Couple steps down, feel free to take a seat. You're already taking photographs. This is what I wanna see. New York spent a lot of money on the Civil War, right? More money than any state. Uh, we provided more guns, more bullets, more everything toward the cause. And more New Yorkers died fighting in the Civil War than any state. 
So we come out of the war victorious. We want to celebrate. We want to memorialize the situation, right, the history. Well, we chose to build a new capital. Our tour guides not only do they need to, need to know the ins and outs of the building and what type of stone is behind me, but they also need to know where any visitors are supposed to go for whatever needs they have that day. Our detail gets extremely granular. Lucky for us, we found some of the last original tile floor in the building under some 1950s floor. And this is Minton Tile uh, from the Minton China Company out of England. Uh, since they are still around, if one of the tiles here cracks or breaks, they can make us a replica of a tile that they made us over 100 years ago. How amazing is that? All right, follow me. We can thank uh, the OGS design and construction crew who uh, have done reports on the building. Uh, there are historic reports, architecture reports that tell us how many windows there are, how many columns, how many arches, each stone. Uh, each tile, what was really original, what was replica, what's not. And we need that information because we get those questions every day from visitors. Was this the first building to have electricity in Albany? This was one of the first government buildings in the country with electric lighting. The New York State Capitol is extremely complicated, right? Right off the bat, it has to do with the architects. You know, usually you have one architect, they come up with one single beautiful design and they roll it out and there's a completion date. Uh, but for our capital, it did not work out that way, right? We had five architects in total. We have about five to six different architectural styles within the building. Architects didn't agree with what the previous architect might have done. Uh, we talk about uh, Henry Hobson Richardson being the main architect for the Senate side of the building, but he never touched the Senate staircase. It was his architectural partner, Leopold Eidelitz, who did something completely different. I mean, it's really, it is so complicated, but if anything, it makes it really, um, really interesting and exciting. And I think that's really why visitors are drawn. And I mean, there was someone on the tour today that I know has taken our tour probably five or six times. All right, this is it. This is the New York State Assembly Chamber, right? We need both chambers in order to get those bills voted on, right? Majority vote, yes, and to the governor's desk for a signature. I love New York State, and so my background uh, is in geography, and my specialty was New York State geography. Um, yeah, just an obsession of New York on the map, an obsession of everything within that map. Uh, landmarks, um, cities, towns, um, historic events, uh, you know, the majority of the American Revolution was fought on New York State soil. That's amazing. You know, like, the, New York really is a special place as far as national history. This is what we call uh, the Great Western Staircase. This staircase took about 12 years to build. Every bit of the stone was imported from Scotland. It's a sandstone. It was ideal for carving. It was covered in hay to keep it moist on its transport here at Albany. Once it arrived, the blocks were set and the carvers got onto the stone and carved in place. The Great Western Staircase, the public knows it as the million dollar staircase. I think that's the perfect representation. Um, it might be one type of architecture, but w there are 77 famous faces and many of them are, are New Yorkers. Um, and they are all diverse backgrounds, right? You have women, you have fam plenty of famous men, right? But you know, we have Frederick Douglass, we have Susan B. Anthony, we have these figures in history that um, just remind visitors of how important our American history is. 
Um, if anything, this staircase is really that. It's a showcase of American history, right? Not just New York State history, but um, really New York's involvement in national history. The response we want from visitors who take our tours and see our exhibits, uh, it's, it's really that they walked away learning something. Um, really anything, even if it was 10%, 1% that they got, um, at least they were learning something about New York State, um, something that matters. Uh, on the Capitol tour side, you know, my main goal is to let people know that this is a public building. You know, this is not some fortress that you're not allowed to enter. And I think there's a major misnomer of people thinking that they can't come into this building. You know, you, you walk in and you see a security guard and you see metal detectors. And I think sometimes people won't even ask if they could go any further. They'll just see that and just turn around and leave. And that is absolutely not what people should do. You know, just come inside. It's open to the public. Get through the metal detector and you can roam the halls. Take pictures of some of the most beautiful architecture that you will ever see. I mean, it's here. Uh, also letting people know that they can become part of the legislative process. When New Yorkers take our tours and they did not know that they can watch a legislative session live um, or know that they can even be involved in that process, there's a message being lost there. And so our tour guides really try to remind the public that this is an accessible building and the work that's happening in this building will affect your life. And if you choose not to be involved, that's your choice. But there are consequences to choices. And a big thanks to that tour guide in the piece, that's Matthew Ham. But that is it for this week. Thanks for watching this week's New York Now. Have a great week and be well.